Okay, so we're here today with uh, Antu Forsberry. Hi, Antu. How are you? I'm good, and hi, and thank you for having me here. Good, good. I think when we started this podcast and we started to think about how do we define Finnish leadership, one of the first names that popped in my head was yours, because out of all the people that I know, you've probably spent the most time with the most different leadership teams. So you've got a really kind of front row seat to a lot of big decision makers in Finland. So it's a real pleasure to have you here. We've prepared an introduction as always. Anneli, would you do the honors? Thank you, Mark. Yes. So this is an intro to Andreas Antu Forsberg. Antu, you call yourself a leadership anthropologist and a coach. Your job is to sit and observe how leadership teams work and function. You watch out for especially three things in a leadership team's behavior. What's the relation of positive and negative signals in their communication? how much they state things versus how many questions they ask, where the focus of the team sits on internal staff, such as streamlining, or on their customers and uh, the external world around them. You have also commented on Finnish leadership in Huvudstadsbladet's article headlined The Bigger They Are, The Harder They Fall, saying that Finnish leaders are often chosen through a good boys network, which leads to feelings of indebtedness and in need to always agree, being afraid of taking a stance and being frightened of making smart, independent decisions. You also talk a lot about emotions and how leaders need to learn to acknowledge them in others and in themselves so that the feelings can be dealt with and discussed. You said that Finland is missing leaders who can do this well. You do not stand in the sidelines in regard to the daily news. For example, five months ago, you published a LinkedIn post where you called out the silence by Finnish decision makers and politicians when racist actions of some ministers in the new government of Finland was discussed. You said, and I quote, silence is acceptance. Choosing not to take a stance is acceptance. Choosing not to act is acceptance. You closed by asking these ministers to resign immediately. They didn't. You and I worked together at the time when we built an escape room, the outbreak. You observed tens of teams working their way through the puzzles and riddles and gave them feedback about their team dynamics, allowing them to reflect. They just loved it. Many still calling it the best team building ever. The Black Book of Leadership was published 18 months ago with a target to sell 10 million books. It's a leadership guide written in the format of a crime novel taking place in the world of music business. You are a husband and a father of two adult kids. You love rock and roll and cooking amazing dishes, which you post under the hashtag, the restaurant that never was. Is this a good characterization of you? Am I missing something? And why do you think the ministers did not resign? Well, I think it's a very flattering uh, introduction and also surprising because when I heard you say what you just said, I was like, have I said that? Yeah. <laughs> I guess I have. So it's just owning up to to what my big mouth keeps saying. And why did that not the ministers resign? Well, that probably tells something about my ability to impact on things. Or then the fact that one of the problems I do think that we have with leadership today is that we are perhaps leading only our career and salary development Hence, we are afraid of saying something which mm. would rock the boat. Mm. 
So that's mm -hmm. perhaps. Yeah. But it, it took me a while to find these things of you, but I, I did. So the, I appreciate the yeah. digging. <laughs> yeah, a little bit archaeological dig there. And was it a good summary? Uh, yes. It's accurate? I mean, we yes. didn't mention how good you are at karaoke, so... <laughs> You know. But I will prove that. <laughs> <laughs> right now. But, I mean, your point about, um, let's say, the, the trappings of leadership or a leadership culture that, that uh, sticks together is kind of why we're here, right? So we want to talk about leadership and Finnish leadership. And we'll start with a standard question. What's your philosophy on leadership? If I start as a politician and say what it's not, <laughs> no, <laughs> yeah. no. But one of the things I, I think that when we talk about leadership, if I generalize we very often associate it with a person. And I think that the world is just too complex. So I think it's by time we kill the myth of the hero leader, the one single hero who comes in, typically a male, middle-aged, heterosexual, and Christian, and on a white horse. That's just history, kind of contributing something to somebody typically written by themselves. <laughs> yeah. And then if you look at what what uh, Jim Collins in Good to Great or, or mm. Built to Last, I think the notion in either one or both of that, that was those really successful leaders were unknown. Because they were not focusing on themselves, but they were focused on building a community, a culture, mm. which actually could thrive without them. And if we start to look at leadership from that perspective and we kill the myth of that one single leader and we actually start to talk about leadership as something, as an outcome of the collective. And I sometimes uh, when I work with, with my clients, I, I ask them that where is leadership in a dialogue? Where is the leadership among us? Hmm. So my philosophy would actually be that if we would shift the leadership development from the stars to the constellation hmm. and actually start to embrace the dialogue which by nature is non-hierarchical, hmm. which might some, sound somewhat naive when we talk about leadership in an organizational context, but, but, but you can still behave in a democratic way, even though it's not the democracy. Mm. So leadership is, in effect, a sense of community building, right? Building the village, in a sense, that keeps everybody aligned, safe, prosperous. Yeah, in a sense. So so, so in, in my book, I actually claim that leadership would only be on loan. Mm. So I, I, can, I can loan the leadership for a while, but only as long as you guys are willing to lend it to me. Hmm. And then I'll give it back to the community. Yeah. So you, in a sense, need to deserve it by how you are contributing to making something but your own career and your paycheck bigger. Hmm. Can I ask, is it equally a problem in Finland or what you're talking about, like stars and heroes or leaders as stars? Or is it more like a global thing? Do we have a lot of stars in Finland? Well, if we put it into context, and, and since unfortunately many of our leaders are still male, and most of them have gone through the army, mm. and uh, there's a certain kind of jargon, if you want, will, that 
kind of lifts the hero somehow up on a pedestal. And I don't think that's only in Finland. I think mm. it's a global phenomenon. Mm. Whereas in Finland, perhaps because of the army, where also we are taught that you should not stick out. So in a sense, you could imagine that the hero leader concept would be lesser potentially in a culture which mm. kind of wants to keep the gray mass mm. at an equal level or where the social divide is. Like in Finland, it's not huge yet. And I hope it will continue to, to be in that sense because that's contributing to the sense of safety, of course, if we are treated as equals. But in your experience, is that how it works? Because I think if I think of some prominent Finnish leaders, I do see a sort of almost hierarchical distinction or a it's almost class-based distinction in how they view themselves against how they view everyone else. I, I hear that being said that we are a somewhat hierarchical. And at the same time, for example, when I'm when I'm working in Asia and and then there's a board member coming from Finland who happens to be the owner, I won't name the company, and they are so amazed how there's no entourage, the approachability mm. and the humble approach where the person in question even remembers their families and they are not even members of the leadership group. They are the mm -hmm. minus one level. Mm. So... We have a certain hierarchy when it comes to perhaps from if you, so if you put this into and now I'm kind of it's good it's going good. Yeah. out on yeah. thin ice <laughs> no 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 it's but good. but it's but good. if if you think of of Finland and I, I think we could describe us as an engineering country that makes that knowledge and competence and facts is all that matters. Mm. And hence, if my degree is more than yours, then I there, there, there I could sense a hierarchy that I'm more educated or I come from a better school. Mm. And, and to the sense, I mean, when I used to work at and if I insult somebody now, apologies, but I mean, if we go out and market a gaming device with an engineering mindset and we think that the facts will sell the product, That's perhaps the bigger challenge we have than hierarchy, mm. that we think that just because it's rational or or factual, that it will automatically transfer to others as the same thing. Mm. And hence, we might, in, in a context of Finnish leadership, pay too little attention of how important it is actually to, to establish that emotional connection to people, touch them emotionally, and only then you come in with the facts. Mm. And now I'm not even talking about the same question anymore. <laughs> no, 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 you, no you, you still are. I think so. What you, I think what you're correctly identifying is that there is a kind of hierarchical difference, but it's not based on status. It's based on, in a sense, competence. And while you say something like it's a product problem that we don't uh, market and make the emotional connection, we try to lend itself just to facts, there is also a leadership equivalent. A lot of Finnish leaders kind of expect everybody else to see how good they are based on their education profile or their experience and the rest of it. And they don't boast and they don't present themselves. So I think I think it's true, right? There is perhaps some kind of hierarchical competition going on in a very specific and small domain. But like you mentioned, go to Asia, go to America, go to Germany, the entourage, the prestige, the 
the role of leader, the, the idolization of leadership. That's far more common and prevalent in other other parts of the world. Yeah, I mean, the, the leaders I am fortunate to work with and the leadership teams and the interaction I see, I'm lucky in the sense that I get to work with really good teams, but I, I see a, a very inclusive atmosphere. I see a very non-hierarchical behavior within that team and actually below that as well, which I can actually, the, why I claim this is when I see people come to present mm. to teams, as Anneli was saying, I'm spending a lot of time observing these people. And one question I very often ask them that those people who just were here, what do you think that they will tell when they leave? Mm. Mm. What's the connection you guys created with these people? Did they feel relaxed? Did mm. they feel at ease? Did they feel supported? Did they feel valued? Or did they feel dismissed? Just a question that I have now, based on what you told us. So with your experience, um, and you seem to have a lot of opinions and ideas about uh, you know, what good leadership should be like, what would be your core kind of advice to modern leaders in Finland, based on what you just said? And I want to, Alexei, what you said, uh, I have a lot of opinions, and that's exactly <laughs> what it is. They are opinions. They are not to be considered facts as such. But to your question, modern leadership perhaps should be merciful, merciful. In, mm-hmm. in the sense that the complexity of the world, that we, we should allow ourselves to admit that it's okay that I don't know. And if I can give up the kind of sense that a leader should know, shouldn't they? And I say, well, the future is hard to predict and it's totally impossible to control, so how could I? Mm. And if we are leading in something which is hard to predict, impossible to control, we don't need to worry actually about making mistakes because we know for a fact there will be mistakes. And if we don't have to fear them, but we can actually be playful with them and at the same time merciful with ourselves, we could actually start to relax a bit. And when we start to relax a bit, the atmosphere around us becomes less threatening. And it might just lead to the fact that the emotional space, which I keep talking a lot about in my book, is that it would be one where people would actually want to be. And that's, I think, the huge difference. That do we have a emotional space, a culture where people choose to be knowingly and willingly, even though they know the conversation might be tough? Versus, I am here because I don't have fucking choice. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I'm exposed to bad behavior day after day and, and belittled and questioned instead of supported, encouraged mm-hmm. to believe. And that's probably one of the things I, at the many, it wasn't the big things, it wasn't the big talks. It were the small things who nobody else would have seen or noticed that somebody came and, Anneli, what a great job. And that small, when you are paying attention to the small details, that's to me impactful. Mm. Sorry. No, I just wanted to say that there's a nice uh, bridge to what we discussed with Askop before. He was saying that being empathetic doesn't mean that you're you can't be decisive. And he said that being optimistic doesn't mean you can be focused on the priorities. So I, I thought that there, in your what you were speaking about, playfulness and empathy just right now just builds a nice bridge to what he said. And to build on that, there's a, an additional thing. 
So, so one of the things that, which I'm talking about a lot when it comes to the collective, mm. is, the, is the challenge of how do we create clarity, alignment so that or each of our clarity is the same clarity, and then the commitment, which comes to the emotional space, that is there room for me and is there safety enough so that I, I can actually voice and articulate how I actually see things, i.e. am I being listened to and understood? Mm. Now, understanding somebody does not mean that we would agree. And there I think that we quite often miss the thing that we think that we need to agree in order to be understood. Mm. Mm. And if we can accept the fact that we can knowingly disagree, and when you feel that, hey, I have been listened to, I have been heard, now you can make the choice Am I willing to follow? And that's one of the things that we very often don't talk about in leadership is that the followership. We have no leadership unless there is followership. Mm. To, to build on that importance of having somebody choosing to follow mm. comes a behavior which is generosity. Mm. And how often do you hear that generosity is spoken about when we talk about leadership? or organizational change. And and to your question, which you asked 10 minutes ago, <laughs> some of the behavior I see in the best leadership teams is actually the inclusiveness, mm. where we're actually using the only leadership tool which is relevant in a, in a context where you don't know, i.e. the question, and you are with the question, inviting people to contribute into the conversation. You're listening to the FLT podcast. Okay, we're trying to distill the essence of Finnish leadership through this podcast. So all these things that you're talking about, how good Finnish leaders are in those things. So again, coming back to the sense of equality, which I think is somehow in the Finnish society. And a certain humbleness, which might be the result of historic inferiority in sense being between two powerful nations, there's actually quite a lot of space in a leadership team in Finland. So it's not necessarily a monologue. The, the leadership teams I'm, I'm working with and I've seen, I, I'm quite willing actually to, to take feedback and start practicing, actually making the most of the collective, i.e. asking the question, how do you see it? Mm-hmm. How do you see it? But I think, I mean... If I try to make a through line between like uh, trying to include and be playful and not be so serious to the historical context that you mentioned of Finland between two great powers, I often think about current Finnish leaderships and the role models they had. Because the role models they had from also in were actually deeply involved in that historical context and very few of them were open to discussing it. So a lot of the role models that our leaders have today come from a place where you know, if they were talking to their parents as children, <laughs> they would come home, slam the door, <laughs> hit the whiskey, and go to sleep. And we, if they were we lucky, they we get... could not afford whiskey. We had both. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay, or the yeah, or the or the yellow, or whatever, whatever, whatever it was. But but actually, those the those softer topics and the emotional or the psychological strain that they would have been under at the time wasn't openly discussed it was never basically on the on the table uh, the last so we had asco here uh last week and 
we asked we did, we asked him a bit about it, like his father and how it was, and basically he said his father was a, a an artisan. He was like a craftsman, but he worked three jobs to keep the family going, and so he actually spent almost no time with him. And and his connection with his father is actually through a lot of the handiwork that he did, which is also where Asko drew his in a sense, model of leadership. Mm. And I think you know we do see these these patterns that we need to be more inclusive. We need to be more uh, psychologically safe. We need to be more aware about how we impact others. And yet the generation that taught our current generation had absolutely no skill for that. Thank you for bringing that up because that reminds me of the one of the key points I'm, I'm basically trying to convey to the leadership teams I work with is that first of all, learn to accept the fact that whether you like it or not, your emotions, they are going to be with you. Mm. And it seems again that the organization somehow has learned to accept that one emotion is totally okay, mm. anger. That we can accept that belongs to the workplace. Yeah. But anything else than that, don't bring it here. But the point is, and, and to your point, is that when we don't have role models, and if we look at even further back, I mean, the the veterans of war, they were denied to speak of it mm. in Finland because they were treated as war criminals. Mm. So if you can't speak of it, whatever it is, that becomes pathological in a sense. The emotion is denied. So no wonder we don't want to deal with that shit called emotion because it's get a bit difficult because I can't really rationally deal with it. And hence it's a bit scary. And that's perhaps why organizations or people in organizations keep saying that it doesn't belong here. Let's be rational about it. Mm-hmm. And and one of the things is that how do we learn to, I mean, when we talk about psychological safety and we take it one step further, uh, what's Amy's last name? Edmondson. Edmondson, yes. When she talks about benevolence and and a culture of kindness. Now, that's a totally different conversation than than if I'm expecting you not to harm me. That's Mm -hmm. a kind of first step. Mm -hmm. But but all this role modeling, if I have not had a role model or learned to, or even been allowed to talk about emotions or feel, and I mean, boys are not to cry. Why? So then I can't recognize, I just feel something and I can't give it a name. As I can't give it the name, I can't really deal with it. And when I can't deal with my own psychological mess, the signaling system, the radiation of my behavior might be not what I want it to be, i.e. you will pick up silent signals from me where I'm feeling really uncomfortable but not being able to talk about it and hence you will start to feel there's something weird here. So when we are able to start to articulate our emotional state, we can actually take hold of that emotion. Mm -hmm. So the emotion will still exist but instead of the emotion running us, we are somehow able to perhaps be mindful of that the emotion might be running me. And I think when when you are with someone who is not acknowledging or able to acknowledge their emotions, I think it easily, you know, a person, any person sort of starts 
mirroring back to themselves and think that there's some, there must be something wrong with me, not the leader, but me. What am I doing? Yes. Yeah. And and that is also, even though, you know, that makes people uncomfortable in, in a leader's company. Very true. And, and, and the worst part is that all the unspoken, all the signaling systems that's going on, I will fill it fill in the blanks. Exactly. And the story I'm telling me is not one which is typically good. Mm. So if you are, for one reason or another, not acknowledging me when we meet, I will be, okay, so Annelies, no, she's going to fire me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's, that's sure. Yeah, yeah. And then I'm probably going to be divorced after that because I'm unemployed and then I will end up under the bridge, drunk, and kill myself. <laughs> Singing karaoke. Yeah, narr- oh, that's even worse. <laughs> <laughs> the narrative is done. Yeah. So we have a couple of questions about your career, actually, that we would like to ask. So as I understood, uh, you had a leader career yourself at Nokia for more than 10 years. But then at some point you decided to stop being a leader and you focused on developing others. Why is that? What's so scary about being a leader yourself? That's perhaps not the reason, but the reason what perhaps my driver are self-instinct and recognizing that how far am I willing to go? But when I think back, the first leadership training I ever took, we had an assignment, which I can't really remember what the assignment was, but I remember the outcome. And I said something that I wish that I would be remembered as a leader who helped somebody on their way. So, And and in in my own teams, my, my philosophy was that this is only a resting place for you. You should not remain here. Mm. You are in no way mine, nor do you belong here. My, And this might come from my educational background where I think that, and actually the tagline of everything I do is how do you create the emotional space where people and ideas thrive, hmm. which is actually learning. Hmm. And when we start to look at change as learning, again, it becomes somehow easier to grasp and now again, not answering your question, I should go into politics. So, <laughs> but why did I choose? So I've been, and I still am, super interested in leadership. And then when I was lucky enough to get the role I had where I was working with quite many of our future executives, and quite many of those who attended the program at the time came, approached me afterwards and said that, could we do something like this? with my team. Mm. And I was like, and this is probably my, one of my traits is that, yeah, we just need to figure out how. And then I started to develop this concept, which I'm currently kind of working with, or a more evolved uh, version of it, which got really good feedback. And I actually never consciously thought of jumping off or leaving but it was actually my wife who was like, well, you keep getting all this good feedback. Why don't you start doing that? Mm. And, 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 and the leadership or lack of it, I, I, I remember one mentor of mine who once said that I was in the line position. And then he asked, how is your team doing? And I said, they're doing great. And then he looked at me and said, why do they need you? 
<laughs> now you need to go to the next level where you don't have a team, where you start to do the leadership without having any authority. Mm. So how do you start to influence? So you don't have a line organization anymore, but you are working in the matrix. Mm. And that almost sounds like the matrix. <laughs> yes, <laughs> it can be. Yeah. But then, so, so you cannot anymore use your so-called power or position and this is one thing that I also want to emphasize, that to me leadership is a behavior, not a position, not a title, mm-hmm. but a mindset of how do you go and how do you meet people, how are you inclusive of people, how do you make people feel that they are appreciated. And this is actually something I learned from my wife. And one of my biggest leadership gurus is my wife. I mean, she is the source of <laughs> any, if, if I have any original ideas, which I don't, what comes to leadership, they are due to the conversations I've had with her. But one of the things, she has a, a cousin who is a lawyer and and my wife is in, in from the social sector. And typically when somebody from the social sector meets people from the business world, they are kind of treated as second rate that nobody's really paying attention. Mm. Whereas this guy always, my wife is always like, I feel like the most special person. He's so interested in me and my work. And he's asking such good questions. So he's making me feel like the most important person in the room. Mm -hmm. And from that conversation, we had a kind of idea like, what if charisma is not actually the one who's taking all the space, but the one who is making somebody else feel significant? Mm -hmm. Giving the space. Mm -hmm. Yes. And to, to me, that became like the huge leadership mantra of, wow, if, 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 what if we would start looking at leadership as not for me, not give it to me, not for me, yeah. but actually for somebody else, mm. which comes back to the point of generosity. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I like that. And I, I mean, in, in that, you, so you pointed out the, the difference between authority and influence mm. and how that's kind of a progression. And I've seen that in lots of uh, both thesis work and also in practice. In the real world, though, a lot of the times, if, if you move into the space of influence, the person who has the hands on the reins <laughs> of the team or the department tends to usually win the day. Because if you think about bonuses, performance reviews, and all the rest yes. of it. And so a strange, it's, you know, part of it is behavior and influence, but then you also kind of need to marry that with mm, effective management tools, something like that. Because if it's just influence, uh, at the end of the day, it comes down to who's, who's writing the paycheck. So this is where the notion of, in theory, there should be no difference between theory and practice, and in practice there is. Yeah. Well, you turned left and went down the like independent, the non-leadership route, the non, path. The non, well, I mean, it's a good question, but I think that's I think that's kind of what I'm trying to get at, which is that is it still leader? I mean, it's is it, is influence still a type of leadership, and then to what extent, right? Because I, the reason I mentioned the guys that pay the wages and, and pull the operative levers is. I think we all quite often know what the right thing to do is and we know where we should be heading and the challenge is really do we back it up with action. When you support LTs, do they often do they, how do you feel about their follow through and about their discussions? Is it do the discussions lead to structural organizational process changes? Do we do they adapt? At best yes. Hmm. When they learn to create clarity, alignment and commitment and then they verify the implication of the decision. 
which we typically, in the name of efficiency, skip. Mm. We kind of agree on a level of quite high abstraction because this is where we can agree, mm. and it's easy. So when we keep mm. it quite abstract, we can all agree that left is good. Yeah. Let's all go left. Oh, did you mean that left? <laughs> I thought the other left. Yeah. Now, so how do we learn to what I call deep probing inquiry? And this is something that I've seen in one of the kind of executive teams I'm working with where the CEO is, he's a master without being in, feeling like being interrogated or if like he does, he articulates the reason why creates transparency, the reason why I ask, the reason why I want to understand. And when they come to a decision, he always takes his time with a couple of open questions. Okay, so if we agree this, who owns this? Mm. Okay, Mark, you own it. Okay, so Mark, when will we review this? Now, you will start to articulate your reality, i.e., when can we expect something to have happened? Mm. And then comes the final question. What? will we review. Mm. Now we can start to assume that we have created expectation clarity, i.e. what do we think that's going to happen when we leave the room, which increases the likelihood that when we, in a month's time, which typically is the cycle, come back to the meeting and look at the action points, instead of work in progress, which typically means that, oh shit, I just remembered that I had an action point, or what I sometimes even hear, I don't remember, what is this? So, so we so, are sitting in meetings deciding on action points which nobody remembers. Mm. So mm. In, with your example, it's not just we're turning left. It is who is going to turn the steering wheel, uh, which left are we talking about specifically in the map, and then how do we know that we've actually made the left turn once it's done? Yes. Okay. So now, now we can verify that we are actually talking about the same thing. Now. The complexity of the world, which I mentioned, we are talking about digitalization, we're talking about AI, Mm. and we really don't know what it is. I mean, how many of these leaders in the leadership teams are actually scientists who are exploring the newest new of AI? None. They have read and heard some TED Talks or lectures or consultants talk Mm. about stuff, and... And this I say somewhat very playfully, but sometimes when I hear leadership teams talk about the future and the new digitalization, it's like teenagers talking about sex. They all very convincingly (laughs) talk like they would know what they're talking about. And then then you look at them and they're like, what? (laughs) (laughs) That's a good, that's such a good analogy. But but in a a sense, this is the admit, if only when we can admit that I don't know and you don't know. Yeah. Now mm. we can start to explore, mm. which and again, mm. and again, the tool for exploration is actually the question. So how do we, and, and when you said in the introduction that I'm looking mm. at what's the ratio between advocacy, are you making statements and questions? Mm. This is actually what I'm curious about because leaders, we have, We've kind of made our careers in the information and knowledge society, which is an implicit signal of saying that knowing is better than not knowing. Mm-hmm. And, and you made your progress in your career and everybody around you saw that you are really good at what you're doing. So what do we do with people who are really good? We come and ask you. Mm-hmm. And you've learned the behavior of telling. So now we have all made our careers to this leadership table. 
mm. with a learned behavior of telling people what to do. Yeah. Asking questions, which is a sign of not knowing, considered weakness. Leaders can't be weak, can they? Saying, I don't know. <clears throat> so then they say, I do have a large language model, but she lives in Canada. Yes. <laughs> and we were querying all the time. I uh, just, you, you can't meet her yet, though. <laughs> and then I can use very complex terminology and add some aggressivity to that. Mm. And I will not be challenged. And if somebody challenges, I can look at them. Do not question my authority. Is that what you're talking about? Is that the, the core kind of development area for Finnish leadership? This kind of ability to to ask questions? Because you, you talked about Finnish leadership as like engineering kind of coming from engineering background, fact-based. So if you don't know, uh, it's a problem, right? So instead of asking questions, people then prefer not to act or then just become aggressive and so on. Is that something that you see as the core development area? I would even, before that, I would go back to the emotional state. Mm-hmm. The, recognizing the emotion and being able to talk about emotions in a intellectual, uh, factual engineering environment. I think that's the biggest thing. Uh, then learning to be curious again, because again, if, we, if you think at the, the engineering mind would actually be driven by curiosity. Uh, that's the source. Why, how, how, do we, how do we maintain that curiosity while being able to admit mm-hmm. that even though I've came this far and I know this much of the future, I know very little? Well, from personal experience, I've been in few organizations in my life where leaders actually were asking questions and were asking for our opinions. But in the end, they were still making decisions that they wanted to make. <laughs> but that's a so, so from a signaling point of view, if, the other thing, positive and negative signals. So by God, if I ask you a question, mm. I should listen. So one of the things I keep telling to everybody I work with, if you already have made up your mind, don't bother to play the role of being inclusive because you're not, you're yeah. insulting people. And, and mm-hmm. uh, professionals... They would be like, <laughs> I can't say this out loud. But <laughs> you can swear, it's fine. But, but, yeah, but yeah. yeah. You are a coach. How do you coach people? How do you coach people to, for example, on their emotion, emotional intelligence or whatever you want to call it? And this is the reason why one of the parts in my job I hate the most is coaching. Because I don't know. I don't have the slightest idea. Mm. I keep getting really good feedback and they frustrate me because I don't know. Mm. I can't answer that. Mm. But you surely have good results. I mean, can you give us an example? How did it happen? How did somebody learn to uh, acknowledge their emotions and uh, and the emotions of others in practice better? Probably just talking about it. I mean, we, yeah. we, we start talking about something we haven't and all of a sudden, okay, So this is an emotion. I did not. So you start, I mean, try to name as many emotions as you can. Mm. It's quite limited, but there's a huge variety of emotions. And when you start to kind of practice and, and, and then you, and I think that the practice is that when, when we are having the observations, i.e. the practice sessions as collective, and then you have the one-to-one coachings where mm. you are able to reflect together with me 
on your own mm. without having to be afraid that your colleagues would know that you are feeling insecure mm. with something. And then you go and practice with them and then you start to see, hey, this actually feels pretty good. Do you set targets? Do you measure? Uh, yes. So, so in a sense, yes. So, so the theme part, the three uh, ratios which you mentioned, and, and the ratio is actually important here. Mm. We see the team development from a data point. But again, this is subjective. Mm. Mm. Uh, individually, it's not my development. It's there. But what I always ask them to, to write is that, write me a letter. So when we kick off something, I always ask them to write me a letter as you would like to be described, or actually it's like, why do you deserve to be called a great leader today, which is dated one year from now? Mm. And then you are focusing on, on on describing the behavior of how you would like to be seen. Now, when I come and observe you in the meeting, and let's say that you can say, I'm going to be wor- working with practicing the open questions and summarizing, mm. and I don't see you ask any open questions and summarizing, we might have a coaching conversation where I say, how likely do you think that in one year you will be good at asking open questions and summarizing when I don't see you practice. Okay. <laughs> yeah, you mentioned uh, and your good experience. I just want to put it on record that there are also bad leadership teams at and I have unfortunately had the experience of being in such. And most of those, I was stabbed in front of the leadership team uh, and asked actually to come back four times to present what I was presenting because never could I sort of reach or answer the questions they had. Mm. Um, But when I then processed it, why did this happen was mostly because the leadership team I worked with wasn't a team. Mm. It was 10 individuals with 10 different opinions. Yeah, and and of course, there's always... uh, the possibility of of bad seeds or bad apples, which could actually quite easily poison and create a toxic environment if allowed. Mm. Also, I'm an external mm. when I'm working with, so they put up their best behavior. And unfortunately, in, in large organizations, there's always space for bad leadership, unfortunately. Mm. There, there, will always, there are always those. And I and this comes back to to the point you made in the intro, where silent acceptance is a problem. Mm. We see things we do not approve of, and if we do not act on that, it's actually approving it. Mm. And hence, we might get a toxic culture. And I'm I'm really sorry to hear that you had to go through something like that. Yeah. So so am I. But I'm I'm now over it. But um, old boys networks. Um, which you mentioned. Um, so you mentioned that in, in Finland especially you see this happening. And this was in an article that was published, I think, if I remember, 2018, so sometime. Do you think we still are there where old boys' networks uh, function and people got get chosen as leaders because of those? Or have you moved on? I think we would probably want to move on, but behavior is hard to change. Mm. And and networks are strong. And, for example, we still see some of the men's club not accepting women as part of their mm. membership. So do we have it? I believe we do. And the smaller the circles 
and now I'm not especially mentioning the Finnish-Swedish small tight network society, which I am. Yes, <laughs> it is there, right. uh, whether we want it or not. Mm. And and do we do it consciously? Not necessarily. Mm. So in your book, the main protagonist is a female. Is that your attempt to to make a statement about the old boys network? Why is it called Black Book of Leadership? What's black about it? Now, I wish I could give a short <laughs> answer. Uh, <laughs> so, yes, it's a conscious choice to have a female leader as the main character. But the reason is not because I want to show the finger to the old boys club. That's not the point. My point is actually to accentuate the fact that female leaders are at least as good. And to the Black Book of Leadership, it's, a, it's actually a tribute to uh, Metallica and I ACDC. That. I knew that. <laughs> <laughs> and there are perhaps around 20, uh, 10, less than 20 references to any leadership theory. There's almost 300 references to bands and <laughs> songs yeah. in the book. So I keep my focus on what's essential. On important things. Yes. Yeah. So there will be a copy heading to Metallica. And <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Antu, for spending the time with us. It's been a good journey. Like I've, I feel like we've covered a whole breadth of topics. Um, it's been tangential, as probably expected. But as we try to wrap up now, how would you best describe Finnish leadership? What are the traits? What are the characteristics? What do you see as Finnish leadership today? And where can we do better? Well, I would perhaps take the approach... If you look at the... Finnish national hockey team, it's not necessarily the single best players as individuals, but somehow as a collective. And I think because of our historic context, the best part of Finnish leadership would be non-intrusive, i.e. it's allowing people the space and and by non-intrusive, it's it's kind of not, not pushing, but then that could be also a downside. Is it? Are we ambitious enough? Mm. Are we hungry enough? Do do we dare to say that? Yes, we can actually be the best, or are we kind of just thinking too small that hey, this is the best product and we, let's sell it in Finland, and the Swedes take a mediocre product and let's go global. <laughs> We can yeah. probably sell sell it in Mars, <laughs> and so so a leadership which allows space for people to be heard. I think Finnish leadership is also kind, hmm. humble in in the sense humble and kind somehow, or or humble yeah humble and kind modest that's modest the, that's the, modest word. the word so so the modest and 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 the downside of that modesty is perhaps the lack of ambition. Where Finnish leadership could improve is how do you rally up the truth? How do you excite people? How do you go out and touch people's, not their minds only, but their hearts and get them to choose to follow you into the unknown, which could be a bit daunting and scary. Antu, it's been a fantastic hour. Thank you very much. Hang on. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me and apologies. <laughs> for what? 
for anything that I might have said. <laughs> is there, is there, yeah, is there a better depiction of Finnish leadership? Thank you very much for the. I'm just sorry. I'm sorry I had to give you my opinions. I'm sorry I exist. <laughs> but yeah, once again, thank you, Antu, for your time. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Okay, that was Antu, uh, Andreas Forsberry, with uh, with a pretty comprehensive view of his experiences and a little bit of historical context. What do we make of that? What did we like about Antu's uh, discussion of Finnish leadership, Anneli? I, of course, like the fact that every clever thought comes from his wife. <laughs> I thought that was really... Yeah, we, we, we got a really good guest list, but we missed by one. <laughs> Absolutely. Of course, uh, the emotional emotional awareness, I think it's extremely important. And that is also what I think is lacking. And we in Finland can be better. Well, for me, I guess one of the most interesting ideas that he had was this, you know, the, the need to shift from focusing on stars and, and heroes and leadership and moving towards these constellations. Because that seems to be, at least in the Finnish national ice hockey team, that's how it works. Mm. And it's successful. And then his ideas about they need to do something about old boys network. Um, and his attempts to, you know, well, I still think that, you know, female protagonist in the, in, in the book, um, it's in a way a statement, uh, like trying to, to 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 show a different way how it can be, right? Uh, yeah. And kind of underlining some of the some of the challenges maybe uh, in the current Finnish leadership circles. Yeah, I thought he was quite. I mean, I like the fact he's frank about it. Like it, there was no sugarcoating. So yeah. he talked about he talked about the old boys network, which uh, it's. I think that's kind of a new thing. He also talked a lot about the historical piece and like. You know, veterans not being able to talk about and about about their experiences during war mm. and how that might practically, you know, have an effect on leaders today and still echo through history, which is a a deep thought and a really like a it's not a lovely one, but it's I don't know. I think it's very useful uh, to go through for the old boys network stuff. I kind of wish I'd have pushed him a bit more because the focus on the collective from the individual, I suppose, will naturally lead to a small group of trusted people which will become a clique which will become the old boys network so in a sense i I kind of i have this feeling that we probably could have or i could have done a bit more trying to get out the connection between collectivism and then the kind of outcome of an old boys network but apart from that yeah i think is i mean the strength that particularly when talked about practically observing leadership teams and involving themselves in coaching discussion i like the fact he said i don't know what i do and then (laughs) 10 minutes of <laughs> this is how I do it <laughs> right. so that yeah. was that was yeah. quite good but uh, yeah. thoroughly enjoyable to talk to and um, mm. yeah I think a lot of really good points in there that's because he's from, he's from Hunkin yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's why he's pleasant because yeah. he's part of the old network right exactly <laughs>